welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. Why is it that we need an initiative on black mental health in the United States of America? Welcome to episode number 71. Today, I'm welcoming back my very first guest from episode 13, Kelvin Young. Kelvin is a sound healer, a holistic health practitioner, and a former drug addict who was locked up in prison. He's turned his life around, and for the last just about 10 years, he's been serving the entire state of Connecticut and helping people with mental health. And since social injustice has really broke out over the last six months or so, he's really been banging home on the issue of black mental health. And we're going to talk about why that is. We're also going to talk about his drug addiction and everything that he went through. And it's a a real reminder of how much we can change if we put our minds to it. Kelvin, welcome back to the podcast. Good to be here. Good to be here, Kevin. It's been a while, huh? It's been a while since we connected like this, so it feels good. You you recently were inducted into the Hall of Change. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is a pleasure and honor to be uh, a part of Connecticut and nationwide, uh, what they call the Great Eight. Um, into the Connecticut Hall of, of Change. Uh, basically, it's, it's um, eight individuals that's been previously incarcerated that's really doing um, great work in their communities um, throughout Connecticut. There's been like hundreds of applicants um, that they went through the whole process, the committee, and I was selected mm-hmm. uh, with uh, seven other um, individuals that, that was previously incarcerated as well too and it, and it really is a pleasure and an honor to uh, to be a part um, of this great eight you know um, the work that that the people are doing in the communities is just just commendable and 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 to be honored in this way along with them um, I'm just truly grateful for this opportunity and space yeah it's 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 shining a light on people that can be quote unquote rehabilitated right. And you you can make mistakes, you can go to prison, and you can come out and you can affect the world in a positive light. Absolutely. And I love the fact that they, they shine a light on that, putting a, a positive face and voice uh, to returning citizens, you know. And oftentimes, we don't, we don't see that. We see the, the recidivism statistic. We see people in and out of prison. We see people going through that revolving door, so to speak. Um, but we can break that cycle. You know, and we can like really um, do the work that we need to do in order to heal and find freedom from, you know, whatever that's holding us back, whether it's addiction or whether it's past trauma um, that's, that's unhealed, unprocessed. And we really can break that, tr- that, that chain and, and move forward in our life and learn from my experiences. Um, but what I've learned from my own personal experience, if I don't learn from my so-called poor choices and, and mistakes that I made in my life, history have a tendency to repeat itself. So um, having the opportunity to learn and grow while I was incarcerated, um, it gave me the tools I needed to move forward in my life today. Yeah, and we detailed that the last time you were on this podcast, which was 
over a year ago now. Yeah, absolutely. You were, yeah. you were my first guest. You were episode 13. Ah. We're in the 70s now, so. <laughs> That's what's up, Kev. <laughs> yeah. And so if anyone wants to hear that, go back and listen. And I must add, Kev, you know, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're um, when you was on the radio, 90, 93.7, mm-hmm. back in the day, you know, K-Dubs, you know, you're, you know, us listening to you while we was incarcerated, it got us through, man. And, and yeah. I, I really mean that. Um, you know, your show during that time, it was, on, it was during the weekend, I believe Sunday, Saturdays, on Saturday night, and you played uh, uh, all the, the, the 90s at nine and all the mm-hmm. old school music that I grew up to. And it kept me going, man. You know what I mean? And you used to see the other dudes that was locked up with me. The mm-hmm. 90s version, the 90s hip hop. Yeah. You know, we had dudes like just walling out, all in, all in good play, but walling out um, in, in prison. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I had really to... appreciate your work. Thank you. I had the letters segment too. No letters, Let, yeah. Letters yeah. from the bank. Yeah, absolutely. I got. I still got jail mail all over the house. <laughs> you know. Now, obviously, you're in the holistic health field. You're helping people with your sound healing and and, and telling your story. But something that's, you know, come to the surface over the last few months, besides a pandemic, has been. Uh, the social injustice and and so now I'm seeing um, you starting to promote uh, black mental health Mm -hmm. and shining light on that could you could you expand on that and why African Americans need mental health modalities as well Absolutely, Kev. You know, when I think about the history of how my ancestors came to America, it was through the, you know, it was through the process of of, of enslavement. You know, my ancestors was was captured and enslaved and brought here through the trans um, Atlantic slave trade, and just the process alone of coming from western parts of Africa to the United States was very very traumatic. And we dealt with slavery. We dealt with the Jim Crow laws. We dealt with um, the KKK, public lynching. Mm. You know, we dealt with uh, the civil rights, you know, considered three-fifths of a human being. Mm. All those different experiences that Black folks, my ancestors, experienced in life, that trauma has been passed down to generations, to generations, to generations, to, to me. So therefore, as we go through, you know, 2020 and all these different things coming up, you know, we've seen black and brown bodies being being murdered um, by uh, people that that our taxes pay for to protect us. So that sense of, of safety is not there. So we in that, that state of, of survival mode, that 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 fight or flight, or yeah. in people that experience trauma, we in that that freeze mode as well too. So we don't even feel safe in our bodies and the trauma that's in our body from from our ancestors, that, that intergenerational trauma that's been passed down to all of us. It's in our bodies, it's in our muscles, it's in our tissues. Mm. Our cells have memory and our body keeps score of all of our experiences that we go through in our life. Yeah. So when we see black and brown bodies being murdered, being killed, that activates our, our trauma that's in our, in our bodies, that's in our, in our DNA, that's in our cells, that's in our muscles. Mm. And not only that, our own personal traumas that we're going through that's that's unresolved our own personal pains and struggles that we're going through i remember you know watching the video of of many black and brown bodies were, were murdered and killed but watching george floyd particularly 
that video circling through, through Facebook, um, that brought up so much raw human emotion within me. It brought up grief, it brought up sadness, it brought up anger, it brought up frustration, it brought up just, just all kinds of intense emotions. And I'm grateful that I have my tools um, in my life, you know, such as the sound healing, such as the deep breathing exercises, um, such as um, Qigong, and I'm grateful for my support in my life, for my, for my partner, Rebecca, and for my family, my friends, my loved ones, the people that, that care about me, my therapist. And I remember watching that video and I literally had to go outside, take my socks and shoes off and literally ground myself on, on, on earth. And because all this the intense emotion was, was very heavy. I didn't realize how triggering that was until the next day, because I woke up with a very heavy heart. I woke up with a very intense feeling of, of sadness and despair. Mm. And I had to, music has always been my therapist. I've been a ther my therapist for a very long time. So I had to put on some PE. I had to put on some Public Enemy. Mm -hmm. And I played Welcome to the Terror Dome. Yeah. And listening to that song, it really helped me to move that, that energy. Because emotions is energy emotions. So those, those intense emotions, that energy that was in me, Listening to Welcome to the Terror Dome, it helped me to, to move that energy and allow me to release that intense energy in the form of tears. I was bawling my eyes out because mm. all that, that tension, all that stress, all that trauma, it needed to be released out of my body. Mm. And come to find out that there were so many other people uh, feeling the intensity of, of watching that video and plus all the different injustices that was going on, the Karens and everything that was going on. It was like complete madness, madness on social media and in regular media. And I'm reaching out to different people, people are reaching out to me. And come to find out that a lot of people was feeling the trauma, um, was triggered from the video as well too, particularly black males and black mothers. Because watching that video of, of George Floyd being choked to death for over eight minutes by a so-called police officer, yeah. you know, it just made me think about that could have been my brother you know, that, that, that tragically passed away. That could have been my cousin. That could have been, that could have been uh, one of my friends. That could have been me. Right. And what really hit me was when I hear George call out to his mother. Right. And it really activated the trauma, the unresolved trauma that I have uh, from the death of my own mother three years ago. Hmm. And that just brought me to a place of just intense emotions. And it, it brought the, the realization as well, too, that I needed to uh, go back to therapy and seek the, the, the support that I need, uh, professional support that I need um, to deal with the grief and the trauma of losing my mother on top of the other things that I'm going through hmm. uh, in my life. So, you know, today, you know, we, we created uh, what we call the Connecticut Black Mental Health and Wellness Initiative. And it's designed and created by over 30 different other black therapists, clinicians, and wellness professionals and practitioners. And we create different um, virtual discussions every month, talk about different topics, different discussions related to the BIPOC, the Black, Indigenous, people of color community. Yeah. And it's a safe space for people to, to vent, to share how they feel in, um, to learn some different um, holistic mind-body practices, as well as receive resources to help them to navigate their emotions in a very um, healthy and therapeutic way. It's been beneficial for me just to be a part of these um, discussions. And also has been um, a, a great opportunity for share 
the tools that I've learned that really helped me, such as breath work, such as sound healing, and such as just holding a space for other people to um, to share anything that's on their hearts, you know. And there's a lot of stigma associated with with mental health and receiving, you know, therapeutic support from a professional. And part of my role is kind of like take away that stigma associated with 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 mental health and receiving um, support from a therapist. Um, because there's a lot of stigma in the black community um, around that. And um, you know, part of that is having those discussions, um, talking about our, our mental health, you know, challenges that we face in life and, and knowing that it's okay to not be okay, but it's also okay to seek support when you're feeling not okay. Yeah. That's an interesting yeah. statement. It's okay to not be okay. Mm. Yeah. And everything that you, you just said a lot, so... Mm -hmm. It's unpacked slightly, but you know, what you said about, you know, these feelings of like coming from generations, it's, it's almost like genetic PTSD, you know? Yeah. It's like it. African Americans have been through so much and Native Americans as well. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then on top of that, we live under a white supremacist of culture. You know, yeah. and, and what I mean by that is that there's systems that we live under, whether it's criminal justice system, whether it's the healthcare system, whether it's, it's, it's the education system, all the systems that we live under is very oppressive to, to brown and black folks and people of color. And we also got to understand white privilege and what that means to um, benefit from these oppressive systems based mm -hmm. on the color of your, of your skin. And... I believe these oppressive systems are designed to keep many people, but particularly people of color, obese, sick, addicted, and incarcerated. Right. So therefore, not knowing that and just looking at it for for what it appears to be, you may think that, you know, just, you know, black people just getting arrested. They, you know, they're just causing a lot of trouble or or they're not taking care of themselves within the healthcare system or, you know, the financial um, situation. They, they're just um, living under the poverty line and just just broke all the time. But there's systemic um, systems that design to keep people um, at a at a at a low. Yeah, democracy doesn't even work without poor people. Right. <laughs> it's like part of yeah. the system. Right. And that's a pretty revealing thing to understand if somebody does their research and see how the whole mm -hmm. thing is set up and obviously those poor people are majority black yeah in the ghettos in uh, uh the pjs you know yeah in prisons you know um, i quick story i mm -hmm. a few years ago i was i met this this young woman from london mm -hmm. and she really wanted to see New York. That was like a fantasy. She wanted to experience New York. I've been to New York many times. I used to be in the music business. So back and forth, back and forth. But I never really saw it as a tourist. And so I said, I'll be your tour guide. Yeah. So she came in and we met in Manhattan and I was her tour guide. And <laughs> we did the Statue of Liberty and we're on the boat, you know, and we're, 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 we're going on the boat and she's looking at this housing facility mm -hmm. she points to me and she's like, Oh my God. She's like, how much do you think it is to live there? I would love to live there. I want to live in New York. And I'm like, no, 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 no. 
That's the PJs. Mmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's you. Yeah. I'm like, that's 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 the ghetto. That's wow. that's not where you want to live, actually. And she's like, "What do you mean? I don't understand." She had no idea. No idea. Huh. I had wow. to explain it to her. Yeah. Wow. wow. I'm like, no, people who don't make enough money get to live there, and because they're all poor. There's an infestation of crime and drugs. Mm-hmm. It's a micro economy. It's a micro ecosystem mm, of violence yeah. and drugs. And not everyone makes it out. Right. And I believe it, 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 it's, um, it's designed, intentionally designed that way. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, when you call it a project, it is a project um, from the oppressive system perspective you know it, it's, it's a project for them yeah. you know what i mean it, it's, it's how they're operating on on people's um you know psychological um biological behavior role like um almost like um lab rats in a way you know it, it's a project for them yeah it's interesting that you know it's on record in his history that there are there were societies in Africa that were highly abundant, you know, highly, and I think that's what hit the nerve when that Black Panther movie from Marvel came out, right? Because mm-hmm. you're seeing you got African Americans who are under this stress, and then they're seeing, even though it's a comic book movie, mm-hmm. but it's touching a nerve on. Hey, we were kings and queens. Right. You know, and we're arguably the first humans here. And right. it's like, what the heck is going on here in this country, you know? Right. And that really that really touched a nerve on, on a lot of people, you know. Mm-hmm. And that, that movie meant so much um more. Um going to the going to the theater and watching that that film and, and seeing um just our culture, um the pride, our heritage, um, all on the silver screen like that. Um, it was just so powerful, very powerful experience. Yeah. And it, the dynamic, it was um, the two the two main characters, you know, it, it just really talked about the relationship between um, the Africans and the African-Americans. And and, and it, it just was a powerful dynamics of, of just our culture and our history. Yeah. Um, and all black, majority all, um, majority um, black cast. And so it was, it was powerful. Yeah, and then of course the lead character Chadwick, the actor, yeah. just passed away recently. Yeah, and all this happening with social injustice, with with protesting, with some riots, and the pandemic on top of it. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in recovery. Mm-hmm. Once you're in recovery, you're kind of always in recovery, right? Well, <laughs> it's one day, one day at a time. A day at a time, yeah, yeah. We could so, have facts and everything, but we we still can, you know, pick back up where we we left off. Yeah. Well, well, I know of people who were in recovery who didn't handle April and March and April very well. Absolutely. And they they relapsed. Yeah, yeah, and you know this is um a very intense time because not only are we dealing with, you know, economic and, and, and physical and mental health crisis from the COVID-19, which bringing up, brought up a lot of emotions and tension for a lot of people, but also dealing with all this racial tension and, and injustices that's been going on for a very, very long time. Um, but people are starting to see it 
um, because it's being recorded, it's being filmed, people start to, to see um, the injustices right in front of their eyes. And it's just bringing up so much emotion, so much tension, so much stress for a lot of people, whereas um, the suicide rate is high, the addiction rate is high, uh, domestic violence rate is, is high, um, the child abuse rates is high, mm. all these intense emotions. And it tells me that people are dealing with these, these raw human intense emotions that don't have outlet to, to, to release them. And people that's in or seeking recovery, you know, one of the things that, one of the main contributors to setback and relapses is, is isolation and chronic stress. So, you know, with the guidance of us being told to physically distance ourselves and a lot of the things that kept us um, supported, kept us in community, such as the 12 steps and such as different holistic practices, such as the things we did in, in community, it's just been just taken away from us. And we have the virtual communities, which, you know, it, it's, it's, it has its place, uh, but it's nothing like the in-person um, connection you get from another human being. Because I believe that connection is the cure for feelings of isolation, loneliness, depression, and different other types of emotional distresses that we experience in our life. And having that taken away from us, you know, our, our, our support system taken away from us and dealing with so much stress, um, you know, that's just a, a, a recipe for, for, for picking up something that you're used to doing to help you to deal with the stress, uh, the trauma, and the tension. And it, it makes sense in my book, you know, why people um, have setbacks and relapse when they're dealing with so much intense emotions and, and stress and trauma. So what do you say to an African-American individual right now going through it? You know, every time there's an incident out there with police, it triggers, it keeps triggering a, a new, a, another layer of like, let's just call it PTSD, you know, anger mm -hmm. or I would I would I would um, encourage people to be mindful of of the videos intent they watch you know because it is vicarious trauma you know or watching what happened to George and other people it not necessarily happened to us but watching that video is activating that vicarious trauma uh, within us so just being mindful of, of of the video intake when we see in black and brown bodies um, being 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 murdered um, and also know to check in your body and know how, how you're feeling and put a i have this this thing called the feeling wheel well it describes different emotions and different feelings that we that comes up within us in our bodies and oftentimes you know we're so disconnected from our bodies um and we we so distracted from our emotions and feelings we don't realize you know how intense or how triggering something can be for us you know so just being mindful of how you feel and putting a name to those emotions, not not creating a story, but putting a name to it, I think it's very helpful for us. And seek support, whether it's from a family or a friend or a loved one, or even a professional support from a therapist, clinician, or or any type of um, healer practitioner, um, because th these are intense times, these unprecedented times that we're dealing with right now, and it's okay to seek that support. Um, would need it, you know, because when I think about my ancestors and how they um, supported one another, one another during during challenging times, it was in community. It was it was in um, in a tribal 
um, since. And we, we need to bring that back now, whereas we, we could rely on one another to support each other as we go through these challenging challenging times. And don't let our ego, don't let our pride get in the way of, of seeking support um, when, when needed. And knowing that it's okay to not be okay, once again, you know, it's okay mm. to have these feelings, you know, because especially black males, you know, when we're dealing with so much emotional pain and stress, the only emotion that we are taught or conditioned to express is anger, you know? And oftentimes when, I'm under the, when I was under the influence of alcohol and other drugs, that anger turned to rage real quick. And, and to numb those, that pain, you know, often we, we reach for alcohol and other drugs to, to numb that pain as well too. And it just helps to create even more problems than it, it, is, it is to, um, to solve. So therefore, just being mindful of how you're feeling, seeking that support, and, and know healthy tools that you can utilize that's going to be beneficial for you and not detrimental um, to your health and well-being. And you're always around Connecticut, the whole state, doing your sound healing Absolutely. sessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I do a lot of work um, twice a month at the Bridge Leonard Center uh, in Farmington every 6 to 7.30. Um, it's all donation-based. Give what you can. No one's turned away for a lack of funds. I'm working with a lot of other organizations that do activist work, like Black Six, um, uh, Black Lives Matter 860. I'm starting to create our free community um, healing clinics, um, whereas people could come that's doing um, activist work, doing social justice work, and come and benefit from a yoga class, benefit mm. from sound healing, from Reiki, and different other holistic modalities, all free of charge. And our next one that we're going to do is going to be on um, October 4th, I believe, or 3rd. It's a Saturday. It's going to be in Glastonbury um, Park. And uh, it's going to be from 1 to 3 o'clock. And we just want to create spaces for people to, um, to process any um, struggles that they're, they're going through in, in life. And also, we're going we're to create more healing spaces in, in Hartford. Um, you know, I, I work in the city of Hartford right now as a community health worker as well. And I work in uh, predominantly communities of color in, in the north end section of Hartford. And part of my role is, is helping to dismantle uh, the racial health disparities um, that people experience in, in the city of Hartford. You know, I also work with, with returning citizens coming home from, from prison and linking them to different um, health care services, whether it's primary care, physical health services, or, or behavioral health, mental health services, or addiction recovery services, you know, and really, you know, talking about stigma and talking about the disparities and talking about all those things and bringing awareness um, to, to diabetes and, and cholesterol and heart disease and addictions and, and mental health challenges so we could, we could break that stigma and discrimination and seek the support that we need if you're dealing with um, any type of, um, you know, physical or mental, emotional health issue you know, in our lives. And, you know, and oftentimes affordability is, is an issue. So I wanted to create these healing spaces where we can have these different holistic modalities and we can offer these modalities to people at no cost to them. Nice. Let's talk about white privilege because a lot of people do not understand this concept. Mm. So I'll put it out there like this. Mm. If I'm driving down the street and I have a broken taillight and you're driving down the street and you have a broken taillight 
and we get pulled over by the police, routine traffic stop, mm -hmm. your situation is different than mine, even though it's the same. Right, based on the color of my skin, right. you know? And oftentimes it's, it's programmed, it's like subconsciously programmed um, because it's, it's part of our culture. You know, our, our, our country was built on, on, on racist ideologies, racist, um, um, you know, systems. So that's part of our, our, our culture here, that white supremacy culture. And oftentimes it's like that fish in the water, right? You know, a fish doesn't realize it's in the water. And that's, that's what it is with white supremacy culture. Many people that's not affected negatively by white supremacy culture don't realize it's there. So they don't understand like, you know, I don't benefit from having white skin. But actually you do because of the oppressive system that we, we, we live under, um, it's, it's designed um, to benefit, um, you know, people with white skin, whether they realize it or not. Right. And not only, even, even if the police officer that pulls you over for a routine traffic violation, mm -hmm. it, even if he's not a bad apple, so to speak, and he's treating you with respect and whatnot, even in that situation, there's still a nervousness for an African-American, isn't there? Yeah, especially a, a black male, you know, and oftentimes we got to have that talk, you know, with our sons, you know, about, you know, how to, um, how to um, relate to a police officer if getting, getting stopped, you know, and um, I don't know too many white folks got to have that conversation with their, with their sons, you right. know, about, about, um, you know, a routine traffic could turn deadly um, in the black communities. You know, so have that conversation, you know, about making sure that your hands is visible, um, they'll make those sudden moves, you know, and, and how to have a conversation with the police without sounding confrontational. Those are realistic conversations we have to have in this country right. today. Right. Yeah. And that just recently happened with, I believe his name was Blake, last name of Mr. Blake. Yes. And he was, he walked away from the cop, like, and... Yes. And then he tried to get in the car and the cop shot him seven times. Yeah. In front of his kids that I, I, I believe, you know, and just imagine the trauma that his kid's going to um, experience, the trauma that he's going to experience in his life. And his life is, is altered, you know. Um, and to me, there's no justification of using um, that many rounds of bullets or even using his gun, period, right. um, um, to, to, to stop him, you know. And it just goes to show that that was a white person chances are that wouldn't happen. Right. I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple instances where um, a white, you know, one of those um, school shooters, you know, or, or, or um, you know, they shot up a few people. Mm -hmm. And there's one, I forgot his name, but there's one instance they, that the cops brought him um, to get some food from a fast food restaurant before turning him in. Mm -hmm. You know, and he killed um, several people. You know, it, it just, it just, fat, it just. It's mind blowing. Mind blowing, just this amount of, of Hip -hip hypocrisy, hypocrisy, um, the racist um, behavior and attitudes um, that we experience in this in this in this culture, this American culture. And a lot of people are oblivious to to it. Yeah, and a lot of people might debate that and say, "Well, he was walking away; he wasn't listening to the police officer. You're supposed to listen. That's the authority." But as we just discussed, mm -hmm. some black people are scared of the cops so it's right. they could either be scared 
or purposely defiant because they're upset, they might not be going against the authority out of spite. It's just fear or anger. Right. Yeah. And so that adds a whole other layer. It just adds a whole, there's so many layers to this. Yeah. And that excessive force was, was totally uncalled for. And, you know, that's, that's the bottom line. As a police officer, it was only one human, one person. Um, they couldn't, you know, um, <laughs> they couldn't take, you know, they couldn't like handle him without using excessive force. And it, right. Wow. You know, and there was more than one police officer, I believe there. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. That says a lot to me. Yeah. He was supposedly breaking up a fight. Right. That's what I was, that's what I heard. And so I, I just being around a lot of fights in my time, I can imagine everyone's adrenaline's going. Right. So he's not just walking away from the cops. He's walking away with adrenaline running through his body. Right. He's upset. If he's breaking up the fight, he obviously knows one of the people in the fight. Right. So it's this huge emotional fire. Right. And nobody knows how to communicate. And nobody knows how to just de-escalate the situation. And plus, on top of that, I believe he had his kids in the car. You know, so he yeah. might want to get his kids yeah. away from, um, the, uh, from the scene. You know, from just all the violence and, um, and all the the chaos that's going on. Yeah, and luckily he survived, but he doesn't know if he'll walk again. Yeah. So here, here we are. Here we are. There needs to be a conversation between people that aren't white and police officers like there needs to be call it a seminar or something there call it reform there needs to be something or someone that brings that together mm-hmm. creates some sort of pamphlet or video and then it needs to be disseminated amongst the people so that we have some sort of protocol something some accountability something something you know in place you know it can't and, keep going like this right and when i think about the history of of uh, police officers how they was you know the police department or that police mentality was designed to capture um slaves or or police slaves um in in the south you know so it, it, it just it seems like that mentality is just is just there you know being that that overseer back in the, in the, in the, in the slavery days until the overseer or the so-called overseer in, in communities of color where mm-hmm. they use excessive force and, and get away with it. KRS-One's famous song, Sound of the Police. Officer, overseer. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He yeah. broke that down. Officer, broke it down. Overseer. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so at the time of this recording, it is September. And it's National Recovery Month. Yes. And so many people, white, black, or whoever, have lost their lives from overdosing. Yeah. What is the drug that is mostly the cause of this? Is it the opioid, the opioid situation? Opioids, um, the fentanyl. Um, people mm. um, taking in the high levels of fentanyl. Which um, comes it- from China, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I believe one of the main manufacturers of, of, of that particular type of opioid is uh, made in China. Mm. Um, and you don't need that much to, uh, 
to overdose. And, and um, you know, heroin has been around for a very long time. Over People have been overdosing for a very long time. Many people are overdosing. I think since the pandemic, um, the overdose rates have spiked 22%. And, and it is not being recognized or looked at because of, of COVID, because um, we're focusing more on, on the pandemic, but many people are dying um, during this this um, public health um, pandemic that we experience right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I believe that addiction is a, is a uh, public health crisis that we need, that needs to be addressed as well too. And, you know, and uh, we have this, um, perception of people that that use heroin or use any other opiate and we think that it's less than or you know it's, it's not a concern or um, but they're human pe- human beings as well too because behind the so-called addict is a human being that experienced a significant amount of trauma emotional distress and toxic chronic stress and looking for a sense of relief from that distress you know, and we live in a culture and a society that conditions us to reach for something outside of ourselves, but dealing with any type of pain, whether it's a physical pain or emotional pain. You know, as a kid growing up, if I ever had a toothache or a headache, I was conditioned to reach for, for aspirin and Tylenol. And for me, I use a physical painkiller such as Oxycontin and Vicodin and Percocets and heroin to deal with an emotional pain. And it worked for a while until it didn't work. And I got caught up in that very vicious cycle of addiction. Mm. And we think about you know, addiction, we got to look at the, the root causes, not only our, our, our individual traumas, you know, our past experiences, um, the, the chronic stress, but look at the, um, the social issues that's going on right now. And, and the, the social stress and anxieties, um, all these different conditions that we experience um, in our world, you know, people are, are just, just feeling off balance and, and stressed out. You know, we live in a culture that, that calls for instant gratification. You know, we want that quick fix for, for everything, you know. And whether it's illicit drugs, you know, such as heroin or cocaine or prescription drugs, such as Oxycontin, Vicodin, and Percocets, um, to me, it's still a drug, you know. And our liver, our body organs, you know, can they really tell the difference whether it's a illicit drug or, or mm-hmm. a prescription drug, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, you know, we, and we're using that that drug to to medicate, um, to deal with the pain, to deal with the trauma, uh, whether it's physical or emotional. Yeah, and a lot of folks who get addicted to the opioids, once the opioids are harder to get a hold of or they're pulled away by a doctor, Mm -hmm. they move on, they start looking for heroin, right? Hey, absolutely, right, because it's a cheaper version, you know, but it's so... Um, you don't know what you're getting nowadays, you know. Um, yeah, because you know, they, they can put anything. the fat, they can put the fentanyl in the heroin, right? Yeah, m- m- many people do just to to um, to um, increase their profit margin. You know, they they cut it with with fentanyl or any other agent mm-hmm. um, that could be detrimental to a person's health. And I, I saw you posted on your Facebook not too long ago of someone you knew who just overdosed, yeah. right? Yeah, it's just so sad. Somebody that I grew up with, uh, we hung out, we did heroin together, and there were days when we were, we were driving, um, coming, going back to Middletown from Hartford, and you know he's driving, and I'm in the passenger side, and I literally have to hold the wheel so he could put the needle in his arm mm. and use the the seatbelt to 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 um to wrap his arm around so he, wow. he could he could find that vein. You know, it was just it it, it was the situation that. 
that we were living in, but the people that we were surrounding ourselves around, that was almost like normal in a way, you know, the way we, we did heroin, the way we did um, cocaine and, and other drugs, you know, whereas, you know, most people, if I tell them that story, they're like, what the hell is wrong with you? You, you know, you, you drive in, right. you know, holding the wheel while he's shooting up heroin, while he's, he's, he's driving. That's, right. that's crazy. But it was like, okay, let me hold the wheel so he could get his fix, you know? That's some movie and, stuff um, right there. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, and when I got the news that he passed away, that really, really um, triggered me and, and, and just brought me back to all those times that, that we shared because, you know, um, we might have been in those addictive states, but we did. I, I do remember some good times that we had together, you know, sure. in that addictive states and, and just reminiscing about those times and his life. And, you know, he's a very smart, intelligent um, human being. He was more than just um, an addicted person. You know, he was he was witty. He was fun. Yeah. Um, he was a hard worker and he was a good man. Drugs are like a like a possession. It, it, it possesses you. It, it takes over. Yeah. And yeah, I've, I've known you for a while now. And mm -hmm. I know, I know Kelvin Young, the holistic health practitioner who travels <laughs> around. And so to yeah. hear those stories is, is, is wild. I thought, yeah. my, I thought my past <laughs> was crazy being a radio personality. <laughs> I'm sure it was. <laughs> I don't got stories like that, bro. <laughs> you know, and, and it just, it, it goes to show, you know, just like how people can change, you know, yeah, yeah. I believe that that addiction is a human experience, not a human identity, you know, and oftentimes we get labeled as an addict or as an alcoholic or even a convicted felon or a high school dropout. We get labeled in those bots and we're much more um, than that, you know, because, you know, I believe it, it is a human experience, you know, and once we understand the reason why people wish out for something outside of themselves to deal um, with their pain, with their emotions, you know, with their traumas. And to me, that helps to, once we understand the root cause of why people reaching out for, for drugs and alcohol, then I believe we can humanize the experience. Um, but when I'm labeled as an addict or alcoholic, um, that's not humanizing the experience. You know, I prefer to use uh, language that describe from a person-centered perspective. So the addicted person or a person with a substance use disorder, not forgetting that, that that's a person too that might be having issues or, or struggles uh, with an addiction. Right. Kelvin, what, what's your website? Is it kelvinbyoung.com? Yep, kelvinbyoung.com. Um, if you're looking for um, individual private session or group session, um, I am doing um, a lot of outdoor events as well, too, in-person events, because I believe we need that, that sense of, of community. We're also following the Connecticut guidelines. Uh, we are um, practicing safe uh, distance, physical distancing, so all the mats are six feet apart, and we're asking everyone to wear their mask uh, when they come into our spaces. Mm. And I also have a line of, of cacao out right now called Cacao Love. And cacao is a superfood. It has so much um, nutrients and, and what our body needs um, in our lives. Um, you know, it had ashwagandha, it had mud, uh, monk fruit. And we just want to just really create a space where people can heal, people can um, talk about their emotions and feelings in a, in a safe space and, and welcome new, um, new foods, new ideas, new ways of, of living that's, that's more in harmo harmonious into healing instead of disharmonious and causing illnesses, disease, um, and, and 
and, and stress and struggle in our lives. Yeah, I even saw you giving a sound therapy session to a horse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. And the horse, um, it was a new horse. And I, for what I've learned that um, some horses, when they first come into to the farm, a lot of horses could be territorial. And the yeah. horse had a, um, he was injured by, by another horse. And, um, you know, just I could, I could sense the pain that the horse was in. And I did a sound healing session um, for the vets, um, you know, earlier before that. And um, I really love the idea of equine therapy, you know, for, for vets that experience post-traumatic stress. Um, and for anyone that's dealing with trauma or, or stress, chronic stress. And after we went down and, and checked out the horses and, you know, I wasn't, I never grew around horses. So I was, it was a little different experience for me, but um, understanding the, um, the pain that the horse was in and just using one of my, my um, metal bowls from Nepal and just the curiosity and see the response from the horse. It was, it was like just priceless, you know, and to see how the, the horse actually like calmed down and just kind of like just was, was mindful. And I believe horses are very, very intuitive, very intuitive. Sure. Sure. Yeah. They're just, just like dogs. Yeah, yeah. Just like deer. Yeah. Just like pigs. It's beautiful, you know. So here you are going into the hall of change. No wonder you're going in the hall of change. You're <laughs> you're you're in a car driving with a seatbelt around the arm with heroin to put heroin in mm. to give in sound healing sessions to horses. <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought, man? You know, who would have thought this Convicted felon, high school dropout, right. you know, drug addict, alcoholic, um, all these different labels that society put on ourselves have the power and ability to change. And, and yes, we do. We have the ability to change um, our lives, you know. But I believe we must do the inner work, you know. And it, it might get messy, it might get hard, it might get stressful, it might get overwhelmed. And that's okay because there's support to help us to navigate through those, those intense emotions and, and, and hard um, challenges that we face in our life. We don't have to do it alone. Mm. We don't have to do it alone. But it's, it's so important for us to do um, the healing work because nothing changes. Nothing changes. And 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 I think it, healing begins from from within. And that's what I learned while while incarcerated. You know, um, you know, after many years of battling with depression, anxiety, and drug addiction, I found that freedom from alcohol, from marijuana, from cocaine, from heroin, and prescription opiates in a drug treatment program uh, within prison. And within this prison program, I learned about the transformative powers of yoga, meditation, sound healing, uh, creative expressive arts like poetry and journaling while in a drug treatment um, uh, program in prison. And I had a lot of misconceptions about yoga, you know, and meditation, you know. I thought, I thought yoga was for rich white women because the way it's marketed and promoted in the United States. And I thought meditation was for, for hippies and, and, and Buddhists. I didn't think it was for me. And that's the misconception that I, I had. So I had to push all those misconceptions to the side and really experience it for myself, have my own experiences with these different modalities. And I was able to feel the effects mentally, emotionally, and spiritually um, from these um, experiences, from these different modalities. And once I had my own experiences with them, I'm like, this is for me. And if I could do this in prison, in a very hostile and restrictive environment, 
I could do this out in the world when I'm released from prison. And, you know, it's been, you know, over uh, 11 years since I found freedom from, from alcohol and other drugs. It's been um, quite a journey. And I'm just so grateful to be, um, be on this journey. I'm, I'm grateful for people like you that's in my life that support me on this, this journey that we call life. And you're going to live till 175 because <laughs> you're so grateful. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I think that is the key to life is being grateful. Yes. And yes. in order to become that grateful, you got to go through some things. Yeah. I There's, believe that to be true. In my research of longevity, I noticed that a lot of war veterans live into their hundreds and they've been through some things. They've, they got bullets flying past their head or they lost a leg or they lost their brothers in war. Yeah. They're living till they're a hundred. Wow. Yeah. Gratitude. Attitude. Attitude of gratitude. All right, Calvin. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, man. Yeah, Kate does, man. Thank you so much <laughs> for the opportunity <laughs> to, to be here with all, no all of your, your audience, man. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you, brother. If you feel more people need to hear this episode or the other episodes, go to my Patreon page and your membership helps to keep this microphone on and helps us build an advertising budget so we can start letting the world know that this podcast exists. From Kelvin Young to Santos Bonacci to Dr. Robert Morse to Dr. Gabriel Cousins to Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. And the list goes on. More people need to know that this exists. If you're in a financial situation to do that, then I suggest you go to patreon.com slash Dr. Reese and help support us. And in return, I will give you Tons of bonus material, including the video versions of these interviews. My meditations are also available on Apple and Spotify, and they are just waiting for you. Next episode, I'm having on Vina Schlegel, who lived with Osho for 19 years. And you're not going to want to miss that. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.